Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. I'm going to begin by reading through the text with you, and we'll make comment on each of these works of the flesh that are manifest. Paul says there, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They easily make themselves to be known to be of the flesh. These are the works which arise out of our sinful nature in Adam. And these things should never be. They cannot be and they shouldn't be in our minds confused with walking in the spirit. These things are contrary to walking in the spirit. And he says, which are these? And he proceeds to give us a list of these works. He says, adultery. He puts that first. Our marriages are a picture of the gospel, of Christ and his bride. Your marriage is precious, precious. You do everything you can to guard against the end of your marriage. And and adultery is a sure way to ruin and hurt and harm your bride or your spouse. Don't do those things. Adultery. Fornication. That's any sexual act outside of marriage. Any sexual act. And that's very popular in our day. It was popular in my day and probably popular a little before my day. But Don't practice these things. It's fornication, uncleanness, which is impure motives, lasciviousness, which is stirring up lustful sexual desires, just focusing on that and thinking of that and stirring it up in one's mind. Idolatry is the worship of false gods, of other gods, whether they be idols or religious symbols, people fall into, into idolatry. And idolatry is a worship of self because it's saying to the true and living God and the revelation he's given us of himself, no, I don't believe that. No, God. And it's, it's, to, it's to side with oneself against the revelation and the true and living God. Witchcraft. It's to form a league with the devil for power, for hidden knowledge, right? and to seek those things that the Lord hasn't revealed to us. It's, it's witchcraft. Hatred, which that word means enmities, enmities. It's stirred up against, it's, it's, it's when we stir up ourselves against God and against his people. It's hatred. It's a stirring up oneself against that which is good and calling that which is good darkness or, or evil and that which is light darkness or that which is good evil. Emulation or variance is to stir up strife, just to be looking for arguments and debate and to just stir that up in the midst of, of, of one another. <clears throat> Emulations which is contentious rivalries, being bitter rivalries, being zealous in your rivalry with another. Wrath, 
which speaks to having fierce, passionate anger and wrath, getting worked up over some wrong and just desiring to do that one great harm for the wrath you feel toward them. Strife is basically partisanship, going with your faction. Whether you agree with it or not, it's partisanship. We, we hear that word a lot in politics, especially when you see politics, they just vote straight down the party line. You know someone's not thinking. They're just doing what they were told to do. It's partisanship. Seditions, which is willfully causing divisions and, and schisms, right? Divisions and schisms do happen, but it's that willful desire to separate and to divide and cause those divisions. Heresies is a chosen thought, a course which is contrary to Christ and his gospel. Envyings, which is when you get that torture of mind because you're just jealous of someone else. Why are they being blessed? Why did they get that promotion? Why did they get that inheritance? Why are they doing so well? It should be me and not them. I deserve it. They don't deserve it. That's envyings. Murders, which is the unlawfully taking another man's life. Drunkenness, which is drinking in excess to intoxication so that you're unable to think rationally, to behave yourself seemly with decorum. You can't do that. You're drunk. You're intoxicated. Revelings, which is that excessive riotous behavior where you're just calling attention to yourself for all the wrong reasons, participating in riotous behavior. And Paul says, such like. This is not the full extent of them. We know what they are, whether it's lying or cheating or deceiving. Right? It's, it's, that, it's those behaviors. Those are works of the flesh, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when I first looked at this text, I wasn't excited to preach from it. I thought, the brethren are going to be burdened. They're going to be brought down with this. But as I studied and looked at it, there is a blessing. We, we, we We can see the gospel even from this passage. Now, let me first say, I want to be clear in this, that if you are practicing any of these things, practicing these things, and you see and, and, and you feel in your heart, I'm doing this, I'm doing this and that, don't. Don't do it. Stop it. Beg the Lord to help you stop it because you and I cannot stop it in and by the power of the flesh because it's of the flesh. It's what the flesh loves and delights in. But beg God for mercy. Beg God for deliverance. And what I mean is don't seek a solace to continue in doing that which you know is wrong, that which the Spirit reveals to you, this is wrong. Don't go in that way. Don't do those things. It's not good. It's harming you. Don't do those things. Don't seek to hide out in a refuge and find an excuse so that you can continue in it, is what I'm saying. Don't don't do those things. Beg Christ to save you from those things. Now, the Lord... Why did the Lord give us this? Why did 
he had, why did the Spirit have Paul write this long list of works of the flesh? Well, the Lord gives us this so that we know that these are sins. He's making it plain to us, very plain and obvious to us, that these are sinful works. These are unprofitable works. These are works that don't edify the brethren. These are works that tear down and destroy and ruin things. They're not good. Don't do those things. They're works of the flesh. And he makes it known to his child so that we seek deliverance from them. He's telling you what they are so that we, we begin to see these things. As he grows us in grace, we see in our own selves, huh, you know, I, I do something like that, or I do that. And, and I see that in, in me, in my flesh. Lord, I don't want to do that. He gives his people a heart to want to, to walk uprightly before him. And so some things we can see and, and know overtly, very plain to us what they are and say, well, I, I don't do that or I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And other things are more subtle. Right? As the Lord grows us, we begin to see the subtleness and this, the deceitfulness of sin in our own heart and how we continue in those things, how we still do those, those works. But the Lord shows us the subtlety of them and, and gives us a desire as we see them, Lord, I don't want to continue walking in those things. You think about this, when Paul wrote this, he's giving instruction to Gentile believers, mostly Gentile believers who did not have the law. And so he's making it plain today. They came from idolatry, they came from pagan worship and, and the practice of a lot of these things. Very acceptable to them in their day, and they thought nothing of it. And so he's exposing those things, which the Jews had an understanding of under the law, but he's showing the Gentiles, hey, guys, these are unprofitable. These are works of the flesh is what you're doing. And he's also making it clear to them that those beatings I'm taking for preaching the gospel by my own countrymen, the Jews, those are works of the flesh. They're not righteous in what they're doing. Those are wicked works of the flesh. Don't be confused. <laughs> don't, don't think something's wrong because I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail because I'm preaching the truth. And they're, what they're doing is not religious zeal. It's works of the flesh is what they're, they're doing. Now, Paul is not teaching the law. He's not bringing you under the law. He's showing us the works of the flesh. He's making us to know these are the works of the flesh so that we don't continue in them and make excuses for them. I'm just a hot-headed Irishman, you know, or, you know, whatever it is that, 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 you know, you have in your ancestry or your family line, well, he was just a womanizer and I'm one too. No, no, we don't just make excuses for those things. We don't continue in them as though it doesn't matter. As Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Absolutely not. No way, no how. That's not what he's saying there. And he's not bringing us under the law. We know that these works are sinful, fleshly works. And we're intimately familiar with that. We know what they are because we feel the infirmity of them. We are familiar with them because we see them in our own flesh and in our own heart. 
We know what they are, and he's making plain to us to know these are works of the flesh. These are works of the flesh. So how are we to hear Paul when he says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, as I was preparing these notes and and thinking, how am I going to preach this to my brethren (laughs) who are believers, who love the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we can, through the gospel, by looking at how men do interpret this, what Paul just said there, he shall not, those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, we can gain a better understanding and be blessed in our hearts and encouraged at the promises of God made to you his children, his beloved children, whom he redeemed and saves in the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, is Paul saying that anyone who's ever done these things can never inherit the kingdom of God? Or is Paul saying, well, only if you've never done these things after salvation can you inherit the kingdom of God. But if you do these things after salvation, no, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Or is Paul speaking about those who practice such things, showing a pattern of practice, and therefore they can never inherit the kingdom of God? And what is Paul emphasizing here in this passage when he says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So let's look at that. Let's look at this in the light of the gospel. What does Paul mean when he says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? First, the scriptures are teaching us the difference between the flesh and and the spirit. They're contrary one to to another. Nothing spiritual will be done by this flesh, and nothing fleshly will be done by the spirit that is in you. And in Christ, we are called to walk by the spirit. If you live by the spirit, then walk by the spirit is what the scriptures teach. Therefore, understand we're not given license Now in Christ, in grace, we're not given license to just freely do and fulfill the lusts of our flesh and what we would do to just carelessly practice those works which Paul points out are works of the flesh. We've all done them. We've all felt, we feel the infirmity of of them in ourselves, every one of them and more, whether it be in word or thought or deed, we're all guilty of every single one of those things, every one of them. And Paul had just been emphasizing in in 5.16, well, let me just say, but in grace now, we're all guilty of it, but in grace, we don't want to do those things. The Lord gives his, his child a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness, to know their God, to love their God, to walk before their God in peace and fellowship and in joy enjoying these blessings that we have in Christ. It's all of him. It's all of his grace. But he does work in us a desire to, 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 to not partake of these things. To not, we'd rather adorn the gospel with, with fruits of righteousness than be tearing it down and having people say, that person's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's really a Christian living like that, 
talking like that, doing those things, right? We don't want to do those things when we think about it. That's not how we want to be found. Now, Paul had just said in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are, and here's the key, they're contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. They're just always opposing one another. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. You're not under the law. Now, someone might look at that and look at this list of sins that Paul has just laid out for us and say, well, I'm not under the law, and these sins sound like they belong under the law or they have some relation to the law. Therefore, this doesn't apply to me at all. I don't have to hear this. I don't have to mind this or think about this at all. There's no application. It is true. Believers are not under the law, but under grace. Or under grace. And Paul is not teaching the law here. He's shining a light on the works of darkness and the works of our flesh. And therefore, that we would see, that we would know this is sin. And we're not to... We shouldn't be seeking to walk in those things. We shouldn't be careless and indifferent about these things, which he tells us are works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. So after listing all these various works of the flesh, Paul says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So first, someone reading this, They may think, well, Paul means that no one who has ever done any of these things listed here can ever inherit the kingdom of God. And they think, well, I'm out then. I'm out. And truth be told, then I'm out too. I'm out too. Every one of us is is out then if that's what Paul means. Everyone's nature, born of the seed of Adam, has walked in these things and done these things, practiced these things and and done them. We're all guilty of them, whether word, thought, or deed. And all the scriptures tell us, the scriptures are given to show us that we are sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none good. We've all gone out of the way. None of us is good. None of us is perfect. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of of God, so that the scriptures, wherever you're reading it, when you're looking at brethren, <laughs> you're seeing we're sinners. They're sinners. And I'm a sinner. I'm no better than they are. And the scriptures are just telling me plainly, without any excuse, that man sinned. That man did what was wrong. He sinned. He shouldn't he ought not to have done that. That was wicked what he did. And so the truth is that in Adam, yeah. By his seed, by his strength, according to what he can do, what I can do in Adam, in this flesh, I will never inherit the kingdom of God. By my works under the law, or whether whether it's the law of Moses, or whatever religious service I would seek to come to God in, I shall never inherit the kingdom of God by the strength of my flesh. Why? Because I'm a sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, I'm corrupt vile, I'm corruptible, I'm weak, I cannot do it. I can't 
do it. I can't purge myself of, of the, my present sins. I cannot get rid of the, the stain of sin and the guilt of my conscience by myself. I cannot justify myself by the law, and I deserve the condemnation, the just condemnation and judgment of God by my good works as well as my bad works, all of its sin. I can't do it. But God has provided salvation freely, by grace, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a chosen elect people whom he put in the care of Christ who came and gave his life, shedding his blood to purchase them, to redeem them, to deliver them from the condemnation of their sins and the power of sin and the power of the grave to to give them life in himself. He did that, provided freely, not because I've earned it, not because I merit it, not because I've done that which I ought to do. All I've done is fall on my face repeatedly. But this grace, which is declared in the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New, Throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, this grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be brought to bear then on this word that Paul is saying here. I'm exposed before God as a sinner with no hope in myself. I cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But Christ did. He is my inheritance. He did obtain for you his child, who have no righteousness of your own, who hopes in him He's the one who has purchased you and and obtained that eternal redemption for you. And he makes you to cry out, to know that you're a sinner, so that you cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. And he reveals Christ, the Savior, to your heart. He reveals him so that we are made to know it's all of grace. All the grace. So yeah, in my flesh, I've done these things. I can't get around it, and I'm not. I'm not worthy of eternal life. But in Christ, I have eternal life, and I am made righteous in Him, and I am accepted into the beloved by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, anyone who's done these things, no, they're not excluded on the basis of Christ coming in Christ. All right, that's first. Now, second. Does Paul mean that anyone found guilty of these things after salvation can never inherit the kingdom of God? Well, what does the gospel say? What does the gospel say? Christ our Lord said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man, not even you, you're a man, whether you're a woman or man, you're, you're a man in Adam. You're, you're of the seed of Adam, and you can't even pluck yourself. No one else can, and you can't pluck yourself out of the hand of Christ. Why? Because by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He's the one that sanctifies. He's our sanctification. He's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He's everything. Now, one of the blessings of God in Christ is the giving of his spirit to dwell in you, his child. Look back at Galatians 4, verse 6. And because 
Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the spirit regenerates us. The spirit creates a new creature called the new man, whereby we live in Christ and walk by faith in him. And the new man does not sin. The new man is not corrupt corruptible because it's not born of Adam's seed but of Christ's seed it's not of the flesh but of the spirit that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit and it's not corrupted it cannot be corrupted by sin it does not sin all the new man can do is believe the Lord Jesus Christ but this flesh this flesh is corrupt this flesh is vile this flesh is not changed look at Galatians 5 5 get there myself. 5.5, five, which says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Why? Because in this flesh, I do not see myself as I would see. My flesh is weak and vile. I still see and feel the corruptions of sin. Until Christ returns and raises this body from the grave... This flesh remains corrupt. It's subject to death. If Christ tarries, and we're, we will die before he comes, if he tarries longer, and we'll go into the grave, every one of us, because we're sinners. This flesh is still under that law of sin and death. But the spirit, no. No, we shall, we, we shall live. And the promise in Christ is that when he returns, he shall raise your body, a new body. Give you a new body, because you're of the new man in, in Christ. Let me read a couple of scriptures from 1 Corinthians 15 that speak to this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53 and 50 through 55, it says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when that happens, we're told, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And he asks, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? This flesh will die and it'll go to the grave and, and lie there into the grave until Christ returns. And that grave, which we've never seen anyone be able to come out of, except for Christ, and, well, those that he, that he brought out, like Lazarus, but only by the power of Christ. And Christ was the first man and only man to this day to, to die and to rise again, never to die again. And we shall be raised like him, by him, when he comes. And that grave will not hold us. It will release. Because Christ will give his word and we shall live by the power of our Savior. And so we'll have a new heavenly incorruptible body then. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And so the point is, this flesh is still corrupt. We still feel, we yet feel the infirmity of this flesh. And we justify things and find ways to do things and justify them and, and make excuses for them. But we're made to feel the infirmity of them, to know these things are not 
of the Spirit. This is of my flesh. The apostles admonish us in the scriptures to stay away from these ways. And they don't do it with threats. They don't do it with threats, but by the Spirit. They speak of the promises of the Spirit of God, of the promises of God to you in Christ. As Peter said, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. We're made to know these aren't profitable. I don't, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't like it when, when I stumble and, and, and fall in, in things I know I ought not to do. And, and it, it bothers me. It hurts me. And it makes me unprofitable to my brethren. Because now I'm thinking of me <coughs> rather than thinking of you. And having my heart set on, on you and how to serve you and, and my, my God and my Savior. And so they tell us these things because it's for our good and for our edification. Third, some have noted that Paul is addressing those who show a pattern of practice and a continuation in that pattern of doing those things. And therefore they, these can never inherit the kingdom of God. The purpose here, and that is not to turn you to a legalistic mindset but again, to reveal to us the presence of the works of the flesh in this flesh, the, pre- the, the, the works of sin and death that is yet remains in this flesh. Again, that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. That we might have mercy and patience and long-suffering with our brethren. Because who are we? <laughs> We're sinners saved by the grace of God as well. And if God our Savior can be long-suffering toward us and patient with us. And he's perfect. He, he has every right to destroy us, and yet he's loving and kind and gentle toward us. Therefore, we too ought to be gentle with one another and think of one another. So it's not to put us in a legalistic mindset, but to be aware. These are works of the flesh that yet remain in this flesh. And it's spoken to encourage you to drive you to the promises of God made unto you in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the one that keeps me. He's the one that guides me and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He promises this in the word. Don't look to the flesh. You'll fail. You cannot do these. You can't even put these things off because it's all the flesh knows. And so being turned to the flesh is just going to continue in fleshly ways. Self-righteous ways. But looking at the promises of God made unto you in Christ, that's where we're encouraged. Our Lord said to his disciples, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He tells, that was in John 8, 12. He tells us in John six forty-five. he says, And they shall all be taught of God. All you, therefore, that have been taught of, of God, you come to Christ. You look to Christ. That's his word. That's his power working in you who don't hope in the law, who don't hope in, in, in what you do, but are looking to Christ. Lord, I have no hope in me and what I do. This flesh is rotten to the core, but I come in Christ because he's my only hope. And that's how you, brethren, come. We know that those who are the Lord's, he'll chasten them. He'll, he'll teach his child. He'll, he'll instruct his child. He speaks of chastening. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom 
he receiveth. That's found in Hebrews 12. So we are chastened of the Lord. Why? Sometimes it's to remove sin. Sometimes it's just to make us weak in the flesh, <laughs> to bring us low, that we would hear, that our ear would be open and made attentive. Lord, what are you teaching me? What would you have me to know? Lord, you're turning me from this world. Thank you. Right? He, he chastens us for that. It's to conform us to Christ. Christ, to conform you to Christ. Why? Because as a son, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. If, if it was good for Christ, how much more good for us who are imperfect in our ways. Every branch, he says, every branch that beareth fruit, what does the Father do? He purgeth it. He prunes it. He cuts it back. He, he snips things off, brings it back. Why? It was bearing fruit. Why does he do that? That it may bring forth more fruit. <laughs> he knows what you can bear. He knows what his purpose for you and how he's using you, what he's going to do with you tomorrow or next month or next year. He's preparing you for his use. We don't know the things that we're doing. We don't even know when we're blessing a brother most of the time. We don't even see it. But it's for their good. And, and how did you do it? By the flesh? No, you didn't even know what you were doing in spite of yourself, God had prepared you. God burdened your heart. God brought you low at some point and made you sensitive or sensible of it when, it when it came along. However he did it, he did it, and he gets all the glory for it. We know from looking at King David that believers are capable of the most vile of sins. That man committed adultery with a married woman and then murdered her husband to try and conceal his sin, and then lived in it for a good year before Nathan came and exposed it and pointed it out to him. We're, we're capable of that, but the Lord shows us this. You know, he, he makes us sensible, not of others, but he makes us sensible of our own heart to know. I, I don't need to look to David. I see in my own heart how, how sinful I am. And how desperate I am for the grace of God. I only need to look there. And the Lord makes his people sensible that we would hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because right? the Spirit has given us this word. And he makes us sensible to what the Spirit's saying. That we too, who are in Christ and his children. And who need to hear it. That we would hear it. And benefit from it. But we do read of David. And we do read of Paul, right? And so the Lord gives us the scriptures because he teaches us by the scriptures. He teaches us by the spirit whom he's given to us and he teaches us this in grace and in that experience of, of grace and growing in him. And we're made to see and to know that the blood of Christ is sufficient to save even the me, the chief of sinners. And each one of you is made to know. Just as we saw Paul go through that progression as he writes those letters where he, he acknowledges he's a sinner and he acknowledges he's a bad sinner and he ultimately acknowledges to Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. And that's how he grows each and every one of you, his children. You're made to see. That's why I'm saying some things are very obvious to us at first, but as he grows us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, we see the subtleties of the works of the flesh. And we're made sensitive to those things and sensible of them. Not what the Lord's teaching someone else, 
Well, he's teaching me and showing me, hey, don't do that. Don't walk in that way. It's unprofitable. It's hurtful. Don't do it. Don't do those things. And so he teaches his people as he sees fit. He's the pruner. He's the purger. He's the one who brings forth the fruit that he purposes to bring forth in his child, in his church. And so God's able, here's the promise, God's able to deliver every one of us from the sins which doth so easily beset us. And he's speaking to you personally. Those sins which so easily beset me, he's able to deliver me from them. To turn you, seek the Lord for it. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me from these, these foolish things. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He's telling you, I know I can do this for you. <laughs> but he does. He, it's, why does he do this? Can he do it like that? Of course he can. Absolutely he can. But he tells us it's a walk of faith. You're going to seek. He says, for these things I will be sought of by Israel. My people Israel. All my chosen people, I'll be sought of them. I'm going I'm to make them to know the weakness and infirmity of their flesh so that they do seek me. We're not robots. We're not robots. He knows exactly how to bring forth the fruit from us that he purposes to bring forth from us. So all things are ordained of him. Our steps are predestinated by him. And yet he brings them forth through power and the glory of God. He's able. And so he's declaring these wonderful promises to us that we would feel the presence of that sin warring in our members to be humbled to know I can't save myself. This is a problem in me, for me, that we would, by the Spirit which is given to us, cry out, Abba, Father, save me. Deliver me, Lord. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore, Here's another promise. He is able also to save them to the uttermost to come, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And so he shows you this. He teaches you this. He points out, hey, these are works of the flesh so that we know that's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the sinner. Lord, I need your grace. I, I can't even imagine trying to come in my own strength. Now, fourth and finally here, Paul is emphasizing something more in say, or is Paul saying something more? I think he is saying something more when he says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's not a chance that you, the child of God for whom Christ died, are going to fall away and go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's pointing out this truth. They which do such things, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They, they won't, won't do that. This, this. It comes down to whose child am I? <laughs> whose child am I? Do I stand in the corrupt seed of Adam? Is that my hope? Is that my strength? Am I coming? Here, Lord, here I come in, in, in my works before the law. I've done good. I've done well. I've battled people. I've told people to be quiet. I've, I've shut them down with debate and strifes and hatred and persecution. All for your sake, Lord. Is that how you come? What you've done? Or do we come in what the Lord has done for me in the blood of Christ? Is he my righteousness? Who, whose hope do I come in? The hope of Adam under the law or the hope of Christ under grace? 
under grace. Because those who come boldly, valiantly in the law, thinking that they've done something for the Lord, he says, they which do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God because they have no covering for their sin. They're exposed. They're naked. They have, they're, they're going to fall before the throne of God. But you that come in Christ, you have no sin. Your sins are remembered no more. They're put away. That's not your hope. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're under grace. Now turn to Colossians. Go to Colossians 3. There's a number of places we could have gone to, but let's go to Colossians 3. The first six verses say there, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's not, well, we'll wait and see how things work out to see whether your life's hid with Christ. No, it's hid right now. It's hid right now. Your sins are put away. We're looking at the promises of God. Not what I need to do better. We're being turned to the promises of God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, recognize this is, this is the works, this is how Adam operates. This is how the flesh operates. And he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know, God's wrath isn't coming because men don't keep the law of God. It's coming because men are sinners who walk in their own flesh. That's why the wrath of God is coming. The law was given to expose it, to shine a light on it and say, hey, that's sin. But you don't need the law. You're not under the law. He's giving you his spirit so that you hear what the spirit says to the churches. And you recognize these works are unprofitable. What do I have to do with these things? Why do I keep doing these things? I don't want to do these things. And you look to the promises of God in Christ, crying out to him, Lord, keep me. Don't let me fall away. Don't let me come in the folly and the blindness and the darkness of, of those in Adam's flesh. Stand me in Christ. Let me be found in the refuge, in, in, in the rock whom you've <coughs> provided. And so it reveals, to Adam, it was given to reveal to Adam's seed that they're sinners. Right? This isn't about, are you in the law or are you not in the law? Believers aren't under the law. We're not. We're under grace. We're under grace. So you don't need the law to make that known. You have the Spirit of God. And by His grace, we don't want to be a partaker in Adam's hope. We're partakers of Christ's hope, of the hope of righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul experienced these things. He knew them in his heart. He, he, he talked about them. And, and he experienced the works of the flesh, right? He was beaten. He was whipped. He was arrested. He was put in jail. He was accused. He was put in mock trials and, and accused. He was, he was shipwrecked. He, he, he was hated by his own countrymen. They contradicted him. They blasphemed. They, they did everything they could. They, they followed him around from city to city, hunting him down to try and ruin and destroy 
the, so to make it so he couldn't preach the gospel. And, and that is the works of the flesh. Why would we want to be partakers with, with that? We don't. He experienced that firsthand. He experienced it in his own flesh. And he, he's showing it here to the Gentiles so that they were aware, hey, don't do those things that you were doing in the temple back there. That's, they're wicked ways. They're wicked. They're false things. He's doing it to expose these men that are opposing the gospel. They're not working for God. They might say they're working for God. They think they're doing God's service, but God's service, but they're they're not. So don't 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 do those things. That's what he's he's pointing out. He's showing us this is what the flesh looks like. And next time when we come back to this passage, we'll see what the fruits of the spirit look like. Because those who are who are being loving and kind and gentle they're leaning not on the strength and wisdom of their flesh, but on the Lord to, to arise and to do what he will do to, to right the situation. They're leaning on the Lord, and that's what, what we're encouraged to do. And so look to the promises. You're not going to beat the works of the flesh by the flesh. It's impossible because that's all the flesh does is tricky, conniving, deceitful, lying things. <laughs> that's what the flesh does. And so we need... The grace of God, and that's exactly what he's given us in Christ. He's given us his spirit. He's washed us in the blood of Christ. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because he's put away your sin. And they who hope in the law, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But you have the inheritance of the kingdom of God for Christ's sake. Amen.